Welcome everyone to the Cloak and Dagger podcast by Fantastic Heath, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is the guy who wears white gloves to put on a record and black gloves to listen to them. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. You really think I'd miss this? The Cloak and Dagger podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 206, B-Sides, is brought to you by Ballarama Dance Battle. This is what you get when you marry a nerd. Pete, let's go around the horn with some of the stuff that we podcast and talk about. First of all, quick touch in with the ratings for Cloak and Dagger. Pete, I know it's free form. I know that live viewing counts for some stuff, streaming others. Uh, last three episodes or so of this season have been at the the sub 400,000 viewer mark, at least uh, for live viewers. That's not very off of where it was for season one. Season one may be an average of about... Mm, 600,000 viewers or so uh, per episode when airing live. So definitely, you know, a, a downward trend. Uh, however, I'm not here to say gloom and doom. Freeform owned by Disney. This has a niche audience, is a niche creation. Getting some of that sweet, sweet Louisiana tax credit money. So uh, let's keep rocking and rolling for the next four episodes of the season. Sounds like they could need a boost, Matt. Maybe, I don't know, somebody could run away to their show for an episode. <gasps> One can hope, Pete. One can hope. Uh, also, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The Mothership, returns this Friday. We'll be podcasting that in due course as well. We have a Season 6 preview episode up on FantasticGeek.com. And uh, glad to be getting more Marvel there over on ABC. Absolutely. Been almost a year, Matt, without, as you said, getting back to the mothership where it all began for Fantastic Geek. Not to mention, we'll be bringing you our second part of the Avengers Endgame process. Uh, we we had so much in that review. We held back a lot of uh, what would count towards the rest of the MCU, how it would affect the TV side, the other uh, shows coming forward. So we're going to be recording that and dropping that about midweek. With that, Pete, take us to the episode 206 recap. A white gloved individual flips through the record bin before selecting Tandy Bowen's perfect life. The white record plays as we're transported to the beach the morning after the storm where Tandy and Tyrone washed up as children. Her father and his brother, however, come running and find them, leading her back to the toast she proposes to Ty on the day he becomes a New Orleans police officer. As Tandy finishes her toast, even Connors comes to celebrate Ty's accomplishment after having been something of a mentor. Billy's there, but he doesn't want to sing with their mom and take away from Ty's big day, despite his promotion in the district attorney's office. Even Evita's aunt is present. Tandy, we learn, now dances for the New York City Ballet. Ty's mom plays the piano and sings. Tandy's father doesn't want to dance, so mom asks Dwayne to dance with her. Tandy blurts out, for her father not to hurt her when he reaches in to remove 
a piece of confetti. As Tandy sits outside, Ty joins her, having changed out of his uniform after Evita spilled some champagne on him. He thanks her for coming all the way from New York for his graduation, but he had flown out for her first and second shows. Low on ice, they go for a walk to the store and Tandy holds his badge while they reminisce about the day they met at nine years old. At the store, a racist patron tells Tandy she's hot and shouldn't have to settle for Ty. The almost as racist clerk says it's just the way things are now. Ty wants to go, but Tandy wants to hear the world according to Redneck. Just then, the clerk sees Ty's gun and draws his own. Ty tells him he's a police officer when he realizes Tandy has his badge. She drops the bags of ice she was carrying, and the clerk shoots, but their powers kick in. Tandy is then a Roxxon Gulf engineer looking over oil rig blueprints as her mother makes her lunch. The white-gloved individual flips the record over for fractured family. Tandy's mom also packed her air sickness pills in case she needs them. She's flying out on a helicopter in four hours and doesn't want her losing her lunch in Lake Bourne. She's not fixing Roxanne's problem, but they've been getting weird reports from the rig, so Mr. Scarborough wants her to look at the operation. Tandy hears a blaring siren, but it's actually her phone ringer. It's Scarborough, and they've moved her departure time up. It's been 10 years since her abusive father moved to Silicon Valley. On the rig, Tandy is lost, but Ty will take her to the machine shop. Billy's there, too, to tell her she's there for nothing. Turns out the pressure analytics were skewed. Dr. Mina Hess doesn't want Scarborough's spy on her rig, even if she's Nathan Bowen's daughter. As Ty walks her through the rig, Tandy sees a man come out of an ambulance door. Tandy sees the pressure has been building for a month, but Mina, uh, Dr. Hess, wants her gone. But the heat is increasing, and they can't stop drilling. As she's explaining why, Tandy sees a hat-wearing figure watching from above. Nobody else sees him, though, as klaxons sound. The rig begins to buckle, and Tandy and Ty's powers knock them to the floor. Mina is pinned, and Tandy suddenly has a light dagger to cut her out with. In the ambulance, Leah looks on as an unconscious Tandy has a light dagger in her hand. She injects her with a syringe and the dagger disappears. The white-gloved individual flips the record over yet again for all alone. Tandy's trying to save the native shorebirds by getting people to sign a petition. She sees and stops old flame Liam, who she thought dropped a piece of paper, not that she was looking at his butt or anything. He didn't think she was, but Michaela tells him they're late for dinner. Tandy gets woozy and Liam catches her, but he and Michaela have to go. She must have skipped lunch trying to reach her signature quota. Somebody's got to look out for those shorebirds. 
Liam Walsh signs her petition before catching up with Michaela and realizing Tandy stole his wallet. She runs down the street and gets into a car, ties jacking, and pulls a switchblade on him. They speed off in a gray sedan as Liam and a cop give chase. Tandy picks her arm like Ty's brother, who went to jail for stealing stereos, used to. He never got clean. She starts to hyperventilate but slows her breathing because she trusts Ty. But how does she know Michaela's name? Ty didn't tell her his name either. An ambulance a co and cop cars come up behind them, but they manage to get off the highway to elude them right before the hatted figure from earlier appears in the street. Tandy begins to wake in the ambulance again, but Leah tells Andre he has to put her back under. She wants to know how Tandy is so strong, but Andre tells her it doesn't matter because everyone has a breaking point and they're close to finding hers. The white-gloved individual is revealed to be Andre, who puts on a jam session. Tandy's trying to save the shorebirds and steal Liam's wallet again. Michaela calls out for police when Tandy brandishes a light dagger, and she runs, slicing open a door, which leads her back to the malfunctioning oil rig. Mina blames her for everything before she goes through a wall and back to Ty's big day. She sees Vives on the wall as her father confronts her. Suddenly she's in the record store too, where Andre tells her not to touch the record. She realizes Leah tricked her for him. He's taken advantage of Leah too. He collects women's misery. She throws a light dagger at him, but he absorbs it. It's not misery, but despair, the absence of hope. His headaches have gotten so bad, he decided to commit suicide the night of the rig explosion. He should have died, but the fates gave him a way to make the headaches stop for a little bit of time. 90% of the time, Andre helps the people who comes to uh, to him. He offers counseling and other services, but the other 10% can't be helped. So they help him. She puts a light dagger to his throat and then breaks the record player awakening in the ambulance with two light daggers in her hands. She cuts herself free and then leaves as a car speeds off. In the church, Ty tells O'Reilly no one picked up the phone at Tandy's place and no one matched her description at local hospitals. He's wasted too much time sitting tight. Tandy surprises him and tells him who's moving those missing girls across the city. They meet with O'Reilly, who called backup. Ty's got to leave before the cops see him behind a wrought iron gate. She doesn't think the police can stop Andre. As Andre packs a bag with cash at the center, Ty and Tandy teleport in. Leah holds a knife to Michaela's throat. Good thing she came in early for her first day back. Tandy throws a dagger and Ty teleports Michaela away. Leah runs, but Andre pulls a gun. 
Ty teleports back in. Tandy tells him to pull the trigger and then Ty will clean him up. But Andre was in her head. He knows it's all an act. He shoots Ty three times in the chest. The hymn starts again and Tandy is back in the record store. Andre tells her she hurts everyone she touches and it's time to give up before she hurts someone else. She hands him her light dagger. In the ambulance, Tandy is ready and taken away to the Viking Motel. Pete, let's talk dastardly dark figures the episode. Let's start with the betraying Leah. The nature of this episode makes it obviously difficult to know is this really Leah is this some kind of other version of her that is just in Tandy's imagination. What do we have to go on that Leah tased her and she's now wound up in the ambulance uh, in the clutches of herself and Andre as the, the bigger reveal who would have figured Matt in that two-part um, season opening uh, night that the the people helping young women battered uh, on the run would be people taking advantage of them. Indeed, Pete twists and turns all season here, and uh, we see with Leah this, you know, that the, the questions still remain. I would hope that in the next four episodes we get a better sense of What's her backstory? Why has she, you know, why has she felt this motivation to help capture these girls that are that are so wayward? I think that we got in Andre a starting point of an explanation. I wish that this show, and indeed, Pete, I feel like oftentimes lately, much of Marvel television, it's a little reluctant to lean into the comic book end of these comic book shows and i think that's part of what is so vivacious about agents of shield is they're willing to do wacky crazy things and if somebody ends up you know forever hurt as a result of it they have like two episodes until there's some sort of comic booky fix and then the story continues and the adventure continues similarly or rather dissimilarly here with andre just kind of the kind of briefest hint of he has these powers to kind of you know, usually he helps people 90% of the time, but 10% of the rest of the time he takes stuff and can feel the hopelessness. And could we get some sparkly fingers? Could we get some glowy eyes? Could we get something that's not just exposition? Uh, this episode says no. Maybe next week. We'll see. And I believe it was Robert T. Frost. I'm not exactly sure, but we had at least one a listener who wrote in and they thought with Father Delgado that perhaps um, uh, he was becoming the comic character Despair. It seems that we've pivoted. Now, we've not named um, Andre as Despair, despite his emphasis on it. This is not like mayhem is coming, Matt. Despair is arriving um, but that he's the big bad, that he's the one behind all of this. And again, like you say, hinting at, but not directly giving us use of 
powers um, and, and tying it back as well to the creation of uh, cloak and dagger um, to really give it that cyclical duality. I think as well, part of what makes the dark figures a little difficult to dig down to in this episode is that we get so much actual uh, plot movement forward. That is to say, we don't get very much at all. So I'm not necessarily critical of the episode. I like these kinds of episodes where we can see different perspectives. I think of yesterday's Enterprise, in which Star Trek Next Generation, you know, iconically had a very similar game plan as this episode, which is to show an alternate view. This episode does more than one. And, you know, to dazzling effect, I think of Lost and the other 48 days that shows things from a slightly different perspective. Not quite the play run here, but similar enough. I just don't know that, like, what's our net takeaway from having a better understanding of Andre as the big bad here, as the mystery guy in the hat? that he's the big bad here and the mystery guy in the hat? I guess, Matt. I mean, it's it's a very unusual episode. I could not help, as I was watching this, think of, you know, in the 300-plus hours of MCU TV that we have, this is as unusual as the uh, season three Daredevil episode where we get, like, a... 25 minute black and white sequence when you consider what happens in real time in this episode an ambulance ride and then everything else is in tandy's mind is imagination i do love i should say i happen to love when shows that i watch do this like alternate life thing i think back to what I watched of Falling Skies, and they did a really good love letter to the show in a, here's a, an episode where the alien invasion never happened and the character that does this instead got into this. And it, it was really, really interesting. And it's interesting here in this episode to see these alternate uh, paths that Tandy might have taken in her life. Um, but I, I just don't know. I, I feel a little bit like in this episode, though they out Andre as a threat, it almost feels like running in place. Indeed, particularly since the previous five episodes have gotten me emotionally invested in the the police searching for Ty and how are we going to resolve that because that's also keeping Ty from his family. So I feel bad for Ty's family. I feel bad for Ty. I feel bad for the lack of justice. Um, we have the issue of mayhem here, which is a really compelling one and one that I know uh, series created Joe Pakowski is really proud that it is so different from a Jekyll and Hyde uh, kind of take here because mayhem and o'reilly want different things so it's very very different uh, but nonetheless i'm invested in that too or, or will mayhem and o'reilly merge back together again will they possibly kill off both whatever it might be add to it this certainly important topic of trafficking and people that are that kind of have no alternative in life other than to turn to crime and to either be the exploiters or to to run the risk of being exploited 
all good stuff, but does it mix together in this episode? I don't quite know. Pete, let's flip to light theories here. And what do you think the next episode will be in terms of answering some of these larger uh, arcs that I was just discussing? Let me be a bit more direct here. What's the next thing to be dealt with? Is it Andre? Is it Mayhem? Is it Roxxon, which now is back in the mix for being naughty? What do you think, Pete? Well, we know that um, the missing girl storyline is tied specifically to Mayhem and that we haven't seen her in a couple episodes feel like that's building back. Um, it's also very clear Ty, uh, you know, being able to come out of the shadows and clear his name is a end storyline by the end of this season and not something that's going to be wrapped up now. And then, you know, he's back with his family and everything's fine. He, he remains on the run with Tandy being taken into this trafficking ring. I think it's an opportunity to show us well, what has indeed happened to these girls who haven't been saved. How about in this remaining arc of these four episodes here, do you have a sense, is the show headed towards some sort of more comic book presentation of these characters? I know that we've seen work starting on a new version of, uh, of, of Ty's uh, cloak there. Do we, do we end the season with, you know, cloak in a cloak and dagger in some sort of, you know, not quite white spandex, but some sort of, you know, heroing outfit as they run and continue to do good in New Orleans? The ballerina outfit in her um, her visions, her imagination here certainly seems evocative of that. It's a good question. I think the show's dealt in realism enough that I haven't had the, the misgivings about a comic presentation. Like I said, I, I just feel like this episode represented a little bit of running in place. And when you consider that we do this and what happens in this episode, we, we find out about Andre. There's hints at powers, but no show of it. He accepts the light dagger from her. Is that her giving up hope, finding the breaking point? I guess it's it's metaphor. We we need some exposition, Matt. You know, the the rule is show, don't tell. And that's what you should do on TV because we want to watch and not be told this is not a radio drama. But I don't know and you don't know definitively what her handing over in her imagination, her light means um, having Ty get shot three times TV code for you're done for. And then its imagination, I think, was a little bit over the top. Um, but if you're trying to get her to a place where she believes this and would give up hope having lost the person she's the closest to in the world, all right, I buy it. I want to see where they take that and in these final four episodes, see if they can stick the landing, especially Matt with, with no renewal announced to this point. Pete, let's check the old inbox to see what people are saying about this episode. We have an email from William Cornegay that uh, reads as follows. Two episodes ago, Tyrone kept saying, I'm not a kid anymore, Mom. Tandy tells Mayhem, I stopped being a kid early. That's the problem. 
Why bother using teenage characters if their life is just like an adult's? Tyrone doesn't live at home. Tandy has minimal parental accountability. Neither goes to school. They spend the majority of their time with adults. Tyrone and Tandy could just be as easily uh, in their 20s and their story wouldn't be altered much. If being 16 doesn't entail the complications of dealing with parents, siblings, or school, why bother? Joss Whedon's Buffy was the closest we've come to seeing a teen superhero deal with teen issues. She even had a retconned younger sister. Though her mom was a presence, her dad was uh, only in five episodes. Are comic book writers so enamored with orphans, they won't consider giving us a story uh, with a kid living with his mom, dad, dog, and sister who saves the world after school? That sounds like a good pitch, Pete. Anyhow, uh, back to William's words here. The cloak and dagger high school years ship has sailed. We aren't going to get Ty and Tandy watching the minutes slowly tick by in study hall. Not holding out hope for graduation either. Uh, The best I can hope is now the show is giving us a flash forward to the Bowen Jackson kids walking down a high school hallway with the girl wearing a hooded dress and the son's backpack glowing with a white aura. Your thoughts there, Pete, on Williams? Rather, uh, rather, I don't know, somewhat negative, although well thought out, well, well said email. I think there's some serious truth to what Williams saying here. I mean, yeah, uh, you look at what the show did well in the first season and it was them navigating teenage lives. You know, I think back to Ty playing in the big basketball game and suddenly teleporting away and having to get that all under control. That is super relatable. Um, I don't think we relate with and and maybe that's part of the problem, Matt. I don't think we relate with. Um, his storyline this season of him having to be on the run, though there are uh, people like him in the world who are the target of police who need to clear their name. So maybe maybe the societal issue is is part of the problem. Um, you know, on, on the issue of Buffy, I, I've seen you know a little here and there. You know, I know we're twenty plus years out at this point. Um, but there's a Marvel TV show that really gets teenagers right now and the parent stuff, and it's called Runaways. And if you're not watching that, you need to check that out because I think that is the most believable show about teens on TV right now, though they have superpowers and their parents are villains. You mentioned – Ty being on the run from the police and yes in the story he is I'll just put forth the question is he really though I mean fine he can't go home that that stinks he misses mom he's barely seen her etc uh touch base with dad for an episode or so but you know he's so on the run that when he sees a police car he walks the other way I don't I guess my point is I don't know how much kind of uber social commentary they're doing he's just on the run kind of because the story says so pete it sounds like from your sentiment my sentiment william's sentiment there's plenty to do in the next four episodes to kind of elevate the show from maybe this kind of mid-season you know mid-season mud that it, it, it might be in ever so slightly we're gonna have to see i mean i remain teased enough by the prospect of a potential crossover with the runaways that I just talked about before. Um, I, I think there's a better show than what we've gotten the past couple episodes. 
real, real credit given to the attempt with the record store metaphor and the whole thing. But I think it's kind of bogged down the A to B to C storytelling of this show. Pete, our virtual record store, that whole back catalog of fantasticgeek.com, it stays up here on the interwebs, courtesy of those who go to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek and help us with the bleeps and the bloops and all the technological stuff in the background. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, some that will never be seen by the light of day, some that you get an exclusive window, Matt. I believe there was something that went up there that, that for a couple days is is for the, the people in the in the expensive seats, and then everybody gets it. So we like to mix it up over there. And Pete, how can people be like William, share their thoughts about Cloak and Dagger as we enter this uh, final four-week stretch for season two? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,447 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter, I was looking back lost. Do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, on Instagram, on Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But we Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the P-H, all one word, like it today. Pete, over on our pop culture podcast feed and the Marvel movie feed, we are going to be talking more Avengers Endgame this upcoming week. We, of course, have Cloak and Dagger to watch and podcast this upcoming weekend, weekend as well. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The Mothership, as mentioned before, also back as well. So great time to be talking all this Marvel stuff. With that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Birds are people, too. <laughs>